Thank you guys for tuning in to episode number 10. We're officially in the double digits, and I've doubled the guests for this one. Gary Smith and Lee Crowder-Bierman are two very important people that are bringing yoga and mindfulness work to children in schools here in Charleston. We talk mindfulness in this episode and how yoga and mindfulness are tools for everybody, but how the benefits of this for children in schools has remarkable effects academically. They run Empowered Minds, a program that I've been involved in for over three years, teaching yoga and mindfulness to children in Title I schools in Charleston. This is something very near and dear to me, and I was so excited to sit down with Lee and Gary for this mindfulness talk. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Here it is, Gary and Lee. but we're recording. <laughs> well, first off, um, thank you guys. In this episode 10, which I'm excited about because it's the first um, episode where I have two guests, I have um, Lee crowder Beerman. Mm-hmm. Did I pronounce that correctly? That's right. Yeah, Executive Director of uh, Empowered Minds, and also have Gary Smith, Executive uh, Mindfulness Director. No executive. No executive? <laughs> no executive. Mindfulness Director of Empowered Minds. Um, two guests that I met around 2014-2015 um, here in Charleston. Throughout that time, I've gotten to work with our Empowered Minds program. So Empowered Minds, really quickly, um, it is a program dedicated to teaching yoga. Right, We teach yoga classes. We also teach mindfulness classes to students to create a learning-ready, really compassionate classroom environment. But I want to start back a little bit from before that and find out a little more personally where your background is briefly and how you got involved in yoga and mindfulness studies. Maybe we'll start, ladies. For, is okay. That, we'll start with Lee. Sure. Thank you. Um, so I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. I started that. Um, in 2001, and I was living in San Diego at the time, and no yoga experience whatsoever. And I would gr- I would see people practicing yoga in gyms, and I'd be like, I am not doing that. I'm not. That looks boring. It's too slow. I wanted to be on the stair stepper. And then I got convinced to go to a yoga class, and I. It completely like blew the doors off of like I knew what was going to happen for my own life. And it just, I just knew immediately with all the things that I was working on with the kids, the special needs kids, working on attention, strengthening, core strength, balance, every single thing that I was doing with the kids with special needs could be done on a yoga mat. So from that point on, I think within two months, I was in my first kids yoga training. And then I think I took three kids yoga trainings in San Diego, and then I became adult certified. So it's just been like a constant learning process. So that's how I got on the mat. And then with mindfulness, kind of the same thing. I was not going to sit meditation. There was nothing. I said, how is sitting still really going to help me? And then I became pregnant. And some of the, um, like the med- there were meditations to do, like how are we going to like birth this baby out and that's actually what got me sitting still and be and having a mindfulness practice is yes it was going to help me with my birth process but then also I knew it was going to really help me be a better mother so that's kind of like my yoga and mindfulness how it all started for me yeah that is really cool yeah Gary um I guess about 12 years ago or so I went to my first yoga class um it was the time to stop pounding the streets on the joints, and so uh, yeah. And where was this? In? This was at, uh, actually at Holy Cow, cool uh, in, West, in Charleston. Yes, and so uh, which I think was one of the first um, yoga studios, yeah, around in that time. That's right. Yeah, and um, you know, came out of that first yoga class with that little buzz you can sometimes get, and uh, just realized this is you know this is something different, this is something unique and really worthwhile. So just started going a couple times a week from then on, and um, then about eight years ago, um, I went to a, a first, my first mindfulness retreat. That was a ten-day Goenka retreat, which is kind of boot camp of uh, 
meditation retreats. It's uh, incredibly intense. There's like ten and a half hours a day of meditation, and it was really dramatic. It was, you know, what what happen, can ha can happen in ten days of that many hours of meditation uh, was pretty startling. And so um, I just started going to more and more. I've you know went to one or two just every year since then. So um, um, so that 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 made me opened me up to just the, the possibilities of what you know these practices could bring and then I guess which leads us to the segue of then introducing them to kids only seemed like a natural to me um, so that's kind of my evolution of it yeah I like how both your stories kind of blend together a little bit um, but it sounded like both yoga was the first that was introduced into more of the meditation and the mindfulness is that correct yes it's the gateway drug <laughs> it really is yeah. i think it's a big deal um when you're going into a yoga class for anybody um because you you leave with i think a lot out of that experience and it does lead to gateway stuff other things right mm -hmm. it was funny I, I took my um uh bachelor um, party group to a yoga class and my buddies are not yogis. Some of them, like, it was their first class. And my friend, um, my buddy after, he was like, man, I just feel like eating healthy right now. Mm -hmm. He was like, we're, we're like, ready to get, like, cheesesteaks and burgers. And he's like, no, nah. he was like, what is it? He's like, I just want to have, like, vegetables and fruits now. It's, like, <laughs> it's a gateway. Yeah, it leads you to, right. like, better things and that's doing right. better things. So we have the yoga. We have the mindfulness. And um, tell me a little bit about the empowered minds program because we do both and I guess starting from the beginning how did you guys um, connect um, well I can start with how the program started so um, sure, I had been in San Diego for about eight years and I was kind of getting an itch to come back to the East Coast from from Florida and um, I was I had dinner I was considering coming to Charleston so I visited over a spring break and um, I was having dinner with um, an old family friend, Jerry Shears, one of the owners of T-Bones. And I had not seen him in probably about 10 or 11 years. So we were just catching up on, you know, what have you been doing in the past? And I was talking about, you know, occupational therapy, yoga, kids yoga. And I probably gave him way more information than he ever wanted to know. Um, but I was just like, all kids need this. And how... Um, and definitely all kids need it in school because it's going to help them um, focus, pay attention, regulate their emotions. And um, he said, well, you know, I do work with this elementary school here in town. If you decide to move, then maybe you know, we could probably see about getting um, yoga in there. And I was like, all right, sold. So that's just, it just happened over a dinner conversation with me talking about something that I was really passionate about. Um, so you never know who you're talking to that's going to make that right connection for you. So then that next school year, 2008, um, I started kindergarten, first grade yoga classes in PE. And then pretty soon after that, um, I was teaching a full day of eight classes, eight yoga classes in a day, which I don't recommend. But And like how many hours is that? That was like a whole day. So it's first entirely. period to whatever, the six or seven period. Yeah. So it was a lot. But um, I, was, I was loving it. It was a huge shift in what I had been doing because I was teaching group yoga classes to preschool and kindergartners. So it was a very big learning curve for me now working in schools with older kids. And it's since that time, how I'm teaching and what I'm actually teaching um, has shifted quite a bit. So from there, I think at some point in that first year, Jerry talked to uh, yeah, Dirk Bedford was the principal at Mitchell, and uh, he had taught my daughter. So after I'd gone to, done a couple of years of yoga and gone to the mindfulness retreats, you know, I, I just thought this should be in schools. And I saw a letter to the editor that's, that's mentioned that Mitchell was now doing movement-based learning, not just with yoga, but with all different forms of it. So I thought there's the natural plug-in right there. I know Dirk. And this school is, has a commitment to, to this idea. So I just went to him and said, I think we should, you know, let's start a yoga program. 
and see where it goes. And he said, well, we've already just got one started here. And let me take you in. And she's doing it right now. And he took me into Lee's class. So I just started, I jumped on a mat, did it with the kids. I'll never forget when you uh, walked in. I was teaching and like, here come, open the door. He just sat down on the mat and like started doing yoga with us. I'm like, who, who is this guy? I don't know. That's you weren't cool expecting. Get oh, not at all. That. I had no idea. <laughs> so, uh, okay. so then from then, I guess a conversation just started and it, Lee was, you know, wanting to and uh, expand it if possible, then, you know, going ahead in that next school year. And so we just rustled up a couple more teachers to join us. And it was like four, four of us or something like that for that, that next school year that started. And uh, just since then, it's just been an incremental expansion of from the yoga and then adding on the mindfulness. Because I always felt like once a week where they go to a separate room, it's great and this, this is a great way to get, to get these kids, um, you know, introduced to mindfulness through movement. But I always felt like for this to become a practice and them to see it, how it plays out in their lives and not to think of it as like, yeah, just like a gym class where you go to once a week and you tune into that stuff, that getting them to do it in their classroom and then getting their classroom teacher to hear, you know, the, the concepts behind it would like really multiply our chances of the classroom teachers starting to incorporate it when we weren't around at all. So that was the idea behind why without getting in the classrooms and doing it. And now they're doing something mindful twice a week at least. Mm -hmm. And there's a real chance it's gonna be a lot more than that now that they see that it's not a partitioned off you know, part of their lives in any way. Of course, in, in yoga, we're always talking about how it plays out in their lives. So the hope is they're making those connections. But I just felt like, um, getting in the classroom where they're not moving anywhere different that there's a real there's a better chance that they might start to see and you could unpack a lot of the things that we talked about in yoga in a, in, a, in that in that classroom situation so it was interesting and you started hearing about the kids lives more than yoga scenarios created and the teachers are such an important piece to this um, even as an occupational therapist when I was working in the schools I would often make suggestions like for Johnny to help him with his focus and attention. I come up with a little list of things and ask the teacher, you know, he needs a movement break, you know, during these specific times. And it was very difficult in a regular education class for teachers to be able to do that because they had a whole classroom of kids. But I also was responsible for making suggestions for students who needed that extra bit of movement. It was on their IEP. Um, and then after I took my yoga class, and I was like, you know what? Yoga is very, it's very tangible. It's very easy. You don't need any equipment. So I started suggesting to the teachers, rather than singling out those one or two, you know, quote unquote special needs students who need to move, do you think your whole class could use some movement? And they were, oh, of course, of course, there are other students in there who are having attention and focus issues. Um, that I was not seeing. So when I presented it as, Let, let's get the whole class doing this rather than singling you know, certain students out, the teachers were much more open and willing because then it was something that they were able to do with the, um, all the students at the same time. Wow, it sounds like it's just different stages of all these events that kind of worked mm -hmm. into each other. Yeah, I mean for the teachers, the classroom teachers, it's demystifying this. Like at first, because I knew how I first felt about the idea, you know, walking in to this whole world, and you think, oh, this is some holy grail or rocket science, but it's not. But the more you can normalize it and see how it can happen, just sitting in our desks or standing up next to our desks, or it, it just starts to bring the the foreignness of this whole thing, you know, that all that down, and um, they start the classroom teachers start to see. I can do these things. I can, you know, take a break with these kids and take them through a, a guided meditation or just put our hands in our bellies and feel our breath for one minute. You know, it really start, they start to see the simplification of it and they start to be able to cue attention in a different way, which is really critical that they're not just saying, pay attention or quiet, you know, that they're starting to find ways that, you know, that we teach them tools of, with mindfulness that they can start to bring attention and calm, or bring up energy, or vice versa, um, when they, just reading the classroom and seeing what's needed in the moment. Mm. And using, I think using yoga and mindfulness um, as a preventative, so to 
keep kids from exploding or to keep kids more regulated as opposed to as a band-aid. Like, oh no, now they're out of control. Oh, now they're so angry. Now I'm going to use the yoga. But the more they're able to use it on a regular basis, then we're hopefully pre preventing them from getting to those places. So like the different tools. Yeah. We're using the yoga as one tool. We're using mindfulness. Mm -hmm. This start with, um, you said called it learning movement or movement learning. Movement-based learning. It was yeah. um, action-based learning. Action-based learning. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that was the, the yoga wasn't a word. Not originally. Not, yeah. No, they were doing that. You know, hopping into squares and doing bringing math into it. They were doing some cool stuff. You know, bring using the brain's ability to in movement to maybe open up more. Um, but we kind of added then the, the yoga piece to it. So, like in this story about what time period is this? What year? This is two thousand and eight. Mm -hmm. That's when we started at Mitchell. Okay, so 2008, we're in 2017. And we were yoga kids then. Correct, correct. formerly so, yeah. program called Yoga Kids. Yes. Um, but learning movement, this was around 2008, you said. Mm -hmm. What has it changed since um, then in the program? What have you seen? As far as what? As far as just where mindfulness has uh, come since then, in popularity and... In media and in, in offices, so and not within the program necessarily, but in the whole culture. Correct. Oh, I mean, there's been a huge, you know, opening to to it and the possibilities of it. I mean, now you got businessmen, military, all kind of people are seeing the benefits of increasing their attention and quieting their mind. Um, but that, 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 that to me, the most exciting piece of that of all is in the schools because it's it's our children, it's our youngest, you know, learning these possibilities. And we work specifically with Title I schools where children are coming from homes often, you know, well below poverty line where there's a lot of trauma and often a lot of reactivity. And so, you know, what we're introducing for some of them is, you know, their first chance at a taste of responding to a situation not, you know, like that. Um, just to take a pause and how you how you take that pause to make a wise choice so that to me is the most exciting part introducing it to that to that slice of our, our population I mean everybody can, could use this for sure but but God those kids you know to have them have those chances to me is the, the most exciting part about it and I was uh, when I started teaching yoga, 12, 13 years ago, people would say, oh, you teach yoga, that is so cute. <laughs> and that, that people don't say that anymore. It is like, wow, that is so cool that you're, you're teaching yoga. I wish I had had that as a, as a child. So I, I definitely see it's like sh turned and shifted from it being this cute thing as to being like, people get it, that it is a tool that can really help kids. Yeah, I am fascinated by how yoga has changed throughout time. And, and mindfulness the most recent couple of years. Um, mindfulness is a really interesting topic and subject. Today in talking yoga, we're like talking a little bit more mindfulness. Mm -hmm. um, Gary, can you give your definition of mindfulness for the audience? Because I know it's a difficult one word to describe, but I think you do a very good well, job Well, I just it. think it's, you know, it's moment to moment awareness of what's arising in the moment with kindness. I mean, mm -hmm. that's an awareness that ultimately leads, I think, to kindness. The more aware you are of what's happening inside of you and around you, the, the likelihood of your kindness, you know, just dramatically multiplies as, as, as it's coming out. So, but yeah, non-judgmentally, non-judgmental awareness of what's happening in the moment with a kind, you know, a curiosity, a kindness and curiosity. Yeah. Those two huge words. Yeah, I love that. Well, a lot of those words in there are like big words and powerful words. Mm -hmm. Just in that context alone, um, I was, yeah, which, go ahead. Which children are naturally very curious? And and I think if we give them enough space, they're also, they're like, especially the little ones, they're already so kind to each other. So it's like, as we get older, we lose the curiosity, we lose some of that soft kindness. So when we're teaching the little ones, all we're doing is expanding where they already are. So we can keep that as they get older, then yeah, that we won't, they won't lose it. Yeah, that is proof that we're just all born with that mm -hmm. anyway. 
right? Yep. Um, so where I was going with, um, with mindfulness, so now they have the definition. Oh, this is what I was remembering. So on the mind, um, empoweredminds.org mm -hmm. um, website, there's a video up there. Um, and uh, in one of the videos, the student asked you, Gary, and it's at the very beginning, he goes, how did mindfulness start? Right? <laughs> it's cool. For a little, uh, a little and you're like, that's yeah. a big that's question. That's a big question. Yeah. yeah. So like, it got me thinking, I mean, it's, it's the curiosity going back to Lee mm -hmm. with the kids. Um, how did it begin? I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but what do you guys think, Lee? Like, how did mindfulness begin? When do you think that it actually began? Well, I feel like when it comes to like the mindfulness world, um, like John Kabat-Zinn, he kind of is often pinpointed as taking, you know, any sort of religious anything out of it and just making it, um, secular. yeah, making it secular. So that's probably not like where it started, but I feel like he can kind of be. Yeah, I mean, if that, you go yeah. way back, obviously yeah. there's been, you know, people in ancient times and in the East who started to realize that when you quiet the mind and start noticing exactly what's going on in the moment that it changes, you know, they didn't use the word brain waves, but that, that it's your experience changes. Mm -hmm. So they, they, there's a deep understanding of that that was developed over thousands of years. And then America, you know, John Kabat-Zinn took it and said, wait a minute, this is so usable without the baggage of a lot of cultural, even or spiritual, you know, pieces of it um, and so that's what he brought to this country and then and we've had a, other great you know teachers in this country who've now taken it and it's you know they're bringing in the whole element of the therapeutic element of it you know which the West was more plugged into and so it's it's becoming its own creature here in our country and in the West in Europe and, and so it's those gifts are starting to swing back to the East because they're starting to see the side way from the side of the prism that we're seeing it through and and realizing some of the benefits of that as well so it's not as it's, it's becoming less male patriarchal less less you know tradition bound rule bound um so it's it's an interesting interplay between the, the two worlds with this whole thing and normalized yes yes normalizing exactly and, and then there's a lot you know it's be fair from there from the far the east side some of them feel like some some things could be are being lost by our the way america and the west is interacting with this whole this whole thing you know dynamic here so it's it's a very yeah. interesting are you saying it's sort of happening both ways the west and the east are yes. going yeah together yeah right? we've western teachers who are teaching in korea now and and you know bringing in just a, a different slant to this whole thing that uh is Opening some eyes there, it's, it's a whole it's a whole story in there. But anyway, the um, Huffington, the Huff Post, just last week came out with an article, and the title is called "If Mindfulness Is Good for Us, How Good Must It Be for Our Kids?" Oh, <laughs> really? Cool, right? Right. So I kind of like the title. I thought I, I was intrigued by that, so I went into it and. Um, uh, they described about how a lot of doctors now in the West, they're using, they're prescribing mindfulness. Wow. Um, they're prescribing it to people, of course, with like, you know, whether they have stress or high blood pressure. And they're around the age of 30, like wh whatever, 38, 45, I can expand. But then it was like, well, what's the potential for this mindfulness now with um, starting it at an earlier age? So what do you guys think? What's the potential now that we know what mindfulness is and we're starting it for children at such an earlier age in their academic lives? They won't need to go see the doctors. <laughs> <laughs> won't be prescribed. I mean, yeah. the, the health benefits like as deep into the cells of the body, I think, can change. So the potential to change all systems, nervous system, immune system, I mean, everything. I mean... I think really sky's the limit. Yeah, yeah I mean, when 80% they say of illnesses that present in a you know general family doctor's office are mind and stress based or related. So, you know, it's enormous the potential just on a health 
level. Um, more specifically with kids, I mean, we've uh, kids in, in our mindfulness classes that the t classroom teacher has reported like one of the students had all their belongings, they were being evicted. They didn't have money to pay the rent, so all their belongings were just thrown out in the yard. And they're sitting out there, and this, the, the girl, the fourth grade girl, just started doing her breathing with the family and just used it to help get through an incredibly traumatic moment. So you just hear specifics, you know, like that that do make you realize how much, you know, this, the possibilities are. Yeah. That is cool. And how practicing, how doing the practices when you're not stressed and you're just things are, it is what it is, how then when there's something traumatic that happens that then they can pull from it because it's just been such a practice, they just know to go to it, that that's a supportive tool for them. So it's not like you can say, oh, well, when you get stressed out or when you're upset, you need to take deep breaths. Like, well, I've never practiced how to take deep breaths and certainly when you know the brain is in that fight flight place you're not going to do something that is not a practice skill so yeah and particularly with the the children like i teach yoga and i love teaching yoga classes to everybody and this is all levels um mostly to adults but when I've had magical, awesome experiences teaching yoga classes that are really like in tune, present moment, the whole group, all the, all the levels are really in tuned. But it's kind of like when you're teaching it to kids, I think to me it's like, you know, you're tripping. Now you're like on LSD tripping, like teaching <laughs> yoga with the kids, right? A little bit. Because um, to me, I'm like, you know, we're, we're saying these words, may there be peace in my words, may there be peace in my heart, I'm saying with the group, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is hope. Right? Mm -hmm. This is hope for the future. Right. And that's immediately what I think when I think about all these different tools of yoga and mindfulness going to the younger generations. Yeah. Um, that makes me think if I just read a book, or just got a book, a kid's book, I think it's Mary and her one, and her ordinary Mary and her extraordinary deed or something like that. So she does one kind deed and then that one person does a kind deed for five more. And then, you know, then it just like gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it does the number calculation at the back of the book. And it's like in the billions just from one deed. And then that person does five. And then those five people do five. And then those five people do five. So just the fact that in, a, in one yoga class, if those kids become kinder and they go out, what are we? What have we done just for that one class? But we're teaching in like entire schools, so one yeah. class. It can also be one pose, right? Right, one word, one one thought that got into their heads. Mm -hmm. That also made me think when you were saying like passing along. There's something like this guy took a paper clip and he ended up trading this paper clip. Uh, a couple months to get like a house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, what that made right. me think of yeah. um, when you were saying that story, but that's cool. Yeah. Um, there's, there's the academic, um, uh, th there's a connection I think between the academic um, growth of children and the m social or emotional growth of children. Mm -hmm. What can be said more of that connection in, in the schools? Well, the first thing that comes up for me, kids who are more um, emotionally balanced, they're going to be in a place where they can absorb what their academics. So if a kid is super stressed out and is always angry and there's this roller coaster of emotions, um, reading, math, anything academic is like not even in a ball game. Hmm. So, I mean, if you take it even looking at the brain, hmm. I mean, obviously, the directly to the hippocampus, I mean, that information is not getting in, and if it ever got in, it can't be retrieved. So, like, that's the direct connection from the brain. But, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, we just, we, by fourth grade, we're teaching them about the brain, and, you know, we have a model where we use the fist and the thumb in the middle that stands for the amygdala, and if you're in that fight-or-flight response or reaction, just what that does to your whole body and how this the fingers come over that, that's the prefrontal cortex where the executive decisions making happens, the wiser choices are made. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a dog walking in, clicking across the floor. <laughs> oh, that's all right. So anyway, um, 
so we, we actually get into it. And, you know, the classroom teachers are hearing this as well as the kids. And they're starting to really make those connections. Like if your brain is not working out of the, this, you know, prefrontal cortex where it's calmer and wiser, as Lee said, learning's off the books. It's not going to happen. So the, the, there's tools to calm that amygdala and bring you to, to your working out of the, this outer, you know, more recent layer of the mind, of the brain, um, it just, it, it, it becomes pretty obvious to the teachers if they haven't thought about it before, the importance of getting children to a baseline and how they can bring it back themselves so that these are tools that they, they own. I mean, that stuff is just starting to happen in part because of what you talked about, how it's getting in the culture now. When we first started talking about this eight years ago, we got a lot of blank stares back. I mean, we'd be in there in schools and talking about the importance of this and it was like we were just trying to like lobbying for something right. and with no real you could tell it was just like huh. yeah huh like <laughs> why, you want us to take away time from our academic content to devote to this with that connection that you're not we're talking about here that wasn't even seen it's starting to get more into the culture where people understand that connection so our job is getting a little easier of walking in cold to a school and, and trying to convince them why they need our program. And, you know, what's generally happened is that a few teachers at each school would get it sooner in the curve. And then once that, and that core of teachers got it, other teachers would, I think, watch those classes and see the effect. And so now it's, you know, just it's multiplied. And so now it's not such a hard sell as it was when we first started it down this road. Yeah, same concept, the multiplying mm -hmm. of, uh, you know. Yeah. Or just the teachers being in the class, in the yoga class, long enough to be like, okay, this is this is okay. I, I, this is making sense. So, And a lot of our teachers are actually getting on the yoga mat with the kids, so I think that's a huge thing. If they experience it themselves, that's a huge thing, that it's not just something that they're sitting on the sidelines just watching, that they're, they're with the kids. And um, they're feeling what their body feels like after they breathe or after they lie down and rest or after they move. So, um, Yeah, I think yeah. this is critical for the classroom teachers as much or more than the kids. I mean, we got a situation where 50% of teachers are burnt, burnt out and out of the profession within five, their first five years. We've talked about this. We've approached colleges with creating this as part of their education program. When they're teaching college students to be teachers, that this should be part of their training because you're sending young people into a war zone, basically, and they have no idea. Right. And they're not even prepared for the idea that, that half of these people who are investing all this time and money into teaching are going to be gone because this profession chews them up because they don't have a way to self-regulate themselves and keep their open heart that drove them into this profession to begin with. They want to be connected with kids. They want to be open and 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 able to shed the what the, the what just happened in the classroom five minutes ago and not let it just send a black cloud over themselves and the whole class for the next hour. I mean, that's their intention. That's why they're in this field. But if they're not given the tools to bring that and be that anchoring presence in the classroom, it's, 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 it's a road to disaster. So to me, it's a big oversight in our education programs and our universities that we're not teaching the classroom teachers these, these skill sets. Sounds like something is off. Yes, it's unbalanced. Yeah, totally. I mean, just the thought of you're sending someone into a field where half of you are going to be gone, like dead soldiers, you know, within five years, and you're not even taught how to, you know, given weapons of your own to enter this. Yeah, and have you ever, in your experience, had a teacher that was uh, not negative but turned off by any of this? We've in had we've had teachers who were skeptical at the yeah. beginning skeptical. for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, not there weren't like. Nobody's come out and, you know, argued against right. it or been nasty or negative. But, you know, just that sitting back, you know, with that little narrow eyes about this whole thing. And so that's been nice to see some of those teachers, you know, those eyes to open a yeah. little, little wider. and uh, Coming now, more awake. Yes. You know, <laughs> now, now they're fine with, like, having someone come in and teach mindfulness. At first, some of them were fine just because they knew their kids needed some movement. So they were kind of, ah, all right, we'll open the door a crack and, and allow for the yoga. That yoga, that gateway drug. Exactly, right. again. Jeez. And it may not even be the yoga or the mindfulness that they were skeptical about. It could just be the fact that that 
was taking away their curriculum time, exactly. and it was just another transition for the kids, and the transition can get kids um, a little off. So it could, and some of that could just be the pressure and the stress that they're feeling to get as much curriculum time in. The time, yes. These teachers are yeah. under incredible pressure because of standardized testing. And so every decision they're making about how much time to allow for this, this baseline setting of, of the students' emotions and um, quieting of their minds is, is always being measured against the pressure they're under to, 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 for these tests. And so it's, able, it's the connection's got to occur in their minds. Like, I'm actually saving time. Mm-hmm. This is going to be much more quality time. I will gladly give away these 15 minutes for mindfulness knowing that, uh, you know, that we'll reap the, the, the benefits of it. Yeah. And teachers do say, on days my students have yoga, because most of the classes are, a lot of the classes are in the morning, they'll say their days are totally different than on their non-yoga days. It just sets the tone for the day and just gets them in a, in a good space for the rest of the day. Yeah, the yoga and the mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you brought up um, a point before where um, the, the mysticism, and I forget sometimes, but I'm reminded um, that we are in the South, and um, can you say anything ab- about that when you first started the yoga and the mindfulness here? Um, we never had a lot of pushback, very much any, from um, parents or anything at school. There may have been a couple, but it was never like um, anything that would impact the program in any way. Um, there may have been a couple who, if the parents said anything, then they would just not be able to participate. They would have to sit out of the class. But um, but by the end of the year, I had a situation like that. Yeah. The, the kid begged to be back in, and by, you know, right. two-thirds of the way through, he was back in the class. So, you know, we, we really go out of our way to, not, to keep it very secular, and it's, you know, there's nothing brought in of any religion or spirituality of any mm-hmm. form no new agey jargon at all. This is really just tools, tools for dealing with life moment to moment. And that's why going back to the curriculum in in colleges, adding in the mindfulness um, programs Mm -hmm. and stuff, that's why it just, I think, makes total sense because you have the time that the teachers can um, do the the information that they need, the context of all the mindfulness programs in their their lessons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our main... Our main challenge was administrators who just didn't have any background in either of you know yoga or mindfulness didn't get it, and obviously as we discussed, felt huge pressure just to keep as much academic content as possible in the day. Um, I have a feeling in ten or fifteen years there's going to be so many people in classroom teachers who've done yoga since they were you know in their late teens or their early twenties that. We're gonna, you know, be walking into administrators who get this already, and there's not, it's not gonna take a cell at all. I think so as well. But uh, also, when we're here in like 2017, I know, um, like in the South, it's very beautiful. Charleston's a very, very beautiful place. Um, but now it's also like it has a history that um, you kind of do see it today still a little bit. And it wasn't only a couple of years ago I've heard the story. Um, only about 10 years ago, and there was a studio, a yoga studio, not far from here in Somerville, um, which is about 45 minutes away from downtown Charleston, where um, a studio was being opened up there, and they were getting phone calls. There was one phone call where it was like, don't open up this yoga studio. Oh. Like, you can be saved. Oh my. Don't do it. You will be saved if you don't open this up. We can help you. <laughs> and, um, I mean, it was just strictly asana, like, just health yoga studio, and they went on to be open for over 10 years and stuff Mm. and built a Somerville community. And uh, the yoga out there is actually really great because there's a lot of good base of students and they practice at these different spaces and they come downtown too when Mm -hmm. we do like our yoga events and festivals. Um, But I think it's worth kind of like, you know, noting that and mentioning all Mm -hmm. that, that there is some challenges. There are really hard parts. But it sounds like it's been pretty good in the academic schools and stuff, people are seeing it and they're realizing it more. And I think too, if the kids are going home and they're talking about what they're learning and what they're learning is just about how to calm themselves down, then the proof is in how the kids are utilizing the tools themselves. And if they're not coming home chanting and talking Sanskrit and 
using words that would freak parents out, then I think that um, makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, let's not freak out the parents, but let's do <laughs> right. Sanskrit. Let's do right. a little bit of chanting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why not? A um, couple books that you guys would uh, recommend. There was one guy, uh, John uh, Kabat Samat. Uh-huh. Did I pronounce that right? Um, the Mindfulness. John Kabat Zinn. John Kabat Zinn. Yes, yeah. thank you. Uh, he's got a couple of books uh, out on mindfulness. Is there one that you can recommend? Um, by him? I forget the title. I mean, A Path of Heart by Jack Cornfield is one. I mean, just The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle is, to me is a great book. Um, there's, uh, there's so many great books about mindfulness out. It'd be hard not to find one if you walked into a bookstore. Um, um, Pema Chodron's got one called Think, uh, When Things Fall Apart. I mean, it's just, they go on and on. Um, there's also ones about mind, working with Children, uh, Christopher Willard uh, has a, two or three books mm-hmm. about working with children, mindfulness, different age levels, teenagers, middle schoolers, elementary age. Um, Daniel Rechshapen, I believe, it's a difficult last name to pronounce, but he's also got several books that are really good on the subject as well. Cool. Any, anything that you know? I would agree with those. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any... Um, non-yoga, non-mindfulness books that you uh, would go to. This is a, a non-one, a, a fiction. Golly day. Well, fiction that's in the field is um, Siddhartha, of course, by Herman Hesse, which is a great okay. entryway book for someone, because it's, it's just a beautiful piece of fiction, but it takes you into this world, so that could be a bridge, an interesting bridge book. Uh, so is that about the Buddha? It is about yeah. basically, but it's a fictional character, and it's not right. based on the Buddha exactly. So it, uh, but it's about a, a, a young man named Siddhartha and the, what happens in his life. Um, so and it's beautifully written. So that's kind of a book that it kind of straddles both worlds of just popular fiction and, and yeah. mindfulness. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah. Do you have any favorite books, Lee? You know what? I don't really read much fiction, (laughs) but um, I remember a college course, but it was actually in the education department at UF, and it was a stress reduction course, and um, she had us read The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, so I remember that one specifically being, it's a fiction book, but it's also about, there's this wise being that comes in, and the, the main character, he's a gymnast, so he's really all about, like, trying to this mind-body connection that kind of takes him on this journey of finding himself so that's a good one yes thank you for like reminding me of that uh, yeah book yeah. again mm-hmm. i hadn't thought about that in a while and i think it was a movie after at some point i, I think, think they did. so yeah i didn't watch it because i'm always either. like i'm a book if you read the book you can't watch the movie right <laughs> right <laughs> especially when it's a good book yeah it's like no, exactly. no, no i'm good yeah yeah mm-hmm. so those are a couple of good ones um Anybody here that's listening um, to this and they're really inspired by what you guys are saying and your knowledge and mindfulness and maybe they're in the academic field and they want to get started, where can you tell them to just maybe get started um, on mindfulness, you know, besides kind of like reading a couple of books and getting familiar? What can they do and where can they begin? Well, there's, you know, a couple people that offer... um, Introduction to meditation in this town. Um, Sal Familia at Mission Yoga was on previous episodes. Oh, good. Before, yeah. Yes, he would do it in a private setting if you'd prefer that, or in a group setting. Yeah, he's got hours. I think I don't know, six thirty to seven thirty, if it's still that on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, and a Sunday morning group as well. Um, so just getting involved in the meditation practice. Yeah, going. just just sampling it, even if it's a few minutes a day. You know, just just um, letting yourself sit, you know, quietly somewhere just is a first taste of it. Um, Would you recommend someone even just starting a personal, you know, just finding like their space and their time? With absolutely. Yeah. Why not? I mean, just watch, sit there and just watch the mind riot for a while and see what, uh, and just become, you start to relate to it instead of just being lost in the middle of it. That's a huge step. No matter how many times the mind runs away, you just notice that, come back. You're creating a whole new neural pathway there every time you do that so uh 
But then beyond that, um, you know, most people then start reading a little bit about it and reading some of the books we, we mentioned. Um, but then if you can go somewhere and do a three-day retreat, something maybe even softer and gentler than the Goenka one I referenced earlier, uh, <laughs> it would be a good way to start um, just uh, going somewhere where you just kind of immerse for a couple of days and it is really, really helpful. Immersion in, in a retreat. Yeah. Kind of going deep. We get a lot of support from teachers with experience who can help you with some of the bumpy spots. And, um, and you're surrounded by people doing it, so you're, that group energy is part of it, so you don't feel isolated so much. I think that all is, you know, has its big part in, this, in, the, in, the, in the evolution of yourself with any kind of a practice. Yeah. When you come back from these experiences in, in your retreats, like when you spend, when you say hours in meditation, what does that feel like for you kind of coming back after that? It always feels lighter. I mean, it's just interesting how, um, and uh, just, just, and things open up. I mean, there's things that are just like, things that become bedrock parts of your life afterward. Things that just kind of, that you may have thought about intellectually at times, but now they become more visceral and they just become more like a gut knowledge. And just then you kind of proceed in your life just with a, firm sense of that for me is true um, there's something about being you know when you open everything up and the distractions all drop away just almost the sense of information being received um, and you know it wasn't you dictating it or who knows I mean, it's, a, it's a relationship it's all relation relational um, but somehow you plug in you can plug into to wisdom that uh, you you know you just don't have a normal access because your mind in its normal day is just chewing and working with so much so much you know information that's being thrown at us all the time that the chance when that drops away it just clears the decks for some new stuff to come in and so uh, I you know come home usually from them with that, a real awareness of that uh, and, a, and a, a sense of lightness around that as well yeah and how does it feel like it's changed you as a mindfulness and yoga instructor just more trust and confidence in yourself just to be yourself and go in front of people and just wing it and uh talking from this more of a, like a, a sense of i belong here no matter where it is you know that's that's really helpful um so that, that, I mean, that, that part of my life, these last, you know, 10 years where I've really focused on that is this has been a real growth, you know, piece of, of my life that's been really, really interesting. Yeah. The confidence is a huge and big part. I think um, I've found and learned as a, as a yoga teacher with the children, like going into now, this is the third year. It was uh, so much more different walking into that first class first class of the school year but it's not your first it's like your hundredth or whatever yoga class with the kids and then you just have that um experience you for one are more comfortable but your authentic self like finally comes out like mm -hmm. you can just you can breathe a little bit you can be more present and um that's only that's what we're teaching mm -hmm. right absolutely yeah so Lee, you had an experience that you went to for a yoga conference mm -hmm. or a, a yoga kids and mindfulness conference and um, there was an acronym I think for yoga and it was uh, oh, and I have it written man. down no here. I'm glad you wrote it down because it's such a good one. And it was about um, authenticity. Mm -hmm. I just happened to remember that it was in this book and I didn't plan on it so I'm going to have to take an extra second to mindfulness. But it's yoga and it's your own Greatness affirmed. And it was your effectiveness is your authenticity. So when you show up, you show up as your 100% self. You bring love and accepting for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I did a training a while back, and, um, and she said yoga is about becoming the best version of yourself, which to me, that, you know, that acronym just kind of sums all that up, and that's always what I felt, that like our best version is in there, but we have to peel the layers off, and that's what yoga is doing, that's what mindfulness is doing. It's not changing anything, it's peeling back the layers, because we are already wise, we are already what we need, 
but it's just the layers that are covering it up. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful note to, I think, end on. All right, let's see how long we've been going on for. Um, it's 50 minutes. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, I do want to thank you guys for your time again. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do appreciate it. And um, empoweredminds.org. All right, all your information to where to find both of you guys um, are on there. There's videos up there. There's also a lot of um, just context and information about the program in, in yoga and mindfulness, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yes, yeah. if anybody listening has an interest in jumping into this game, uh, work through the website and make contact. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and they can find you as well, Gary, on there. Well, not personally, but they'll, they'll make contact yeah. and they'll get to Lee and we'll make it happen. Yeah, yeah all in downtown Charleston here. Yoga, um, formerly called Yoga Kids, right. Empowered Minds. Um, isn't just the Title I schools in Charleston, correct? We're also in Myrtle Beach. We right. have uh, two schools in Horry County as well. Cool. Yeah. So you can find both in mm -hmm. Charleston and Myrtle Beach. Right. Awesome. Right. Thank you guys so much again. Thank you. Yeah. Thank I appreciate you, it. Yeah. Thank you guys very much for tuning in to this episode. It means so much having you listen to this podcast and Go right ahead to empoweredminds.org to check out a little bit more information about both Gary and Lee. As always, I appreciate any support that you have with this podcast, whether that be sharing it with a friend who is interested in yoga or in this episode is interested in mindfulness with children in schools. Um, and if you can take one more moment, please just go onto your iTunes store. Remember to rate Talking Yoga with Joe and leave a review, leave a comment. Let me know what you think. Thank you. Namaste.